You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to Locked On Rockets, your home for podcast coverage of the Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose. And well, as we chat on this Tuesday, Lockdown Rockets is finally back to being not just a rumor show, but a basketball show. Training camp officially opened Tuesday at Toyota Center. Those of us in the media actually even got to see a little bit. And I can officially confirm, folks, that yes, they are playing basketball. Everyone is back in business. So this show, short and sweet, just a few of my observations from the first day of training camp that I got to see out at Toyota Center this afternoon. The Rockets did practice from about 11 until 2, but it's mostly closed to the media. They do let the media in towards the end, of course, to speak to the coaches and players after it. But um, we did get to see a little bit of the scrimmage towards the end as well. They do give us that treat from time to time. And if you haven't already checked out my timeline at Ben DuBose, I posted a few of the videos, what I thought were most interesting this afternoon at camp. But as far as what we saw from the scrimmage, it's what you would expect. There, People were playing hard. People looked healthy. The defense was probably a little ahead of the offense, and that's to be expected when there's a little bit of rust early in camp. But I thought the energy level was good. You generally had a team of starters versus a team of reserves. There were some changes for both units, but by and large, the starters had more continuity. You had Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, uh, Ryan Anderson, and Clint Capella as sort of the mainstays. Now, James Harden was not in that group. He was off to the side. He was riding the bike. He was, as I'm sure you've seen on Twitter by now, I call it hashtag hoodie Harden, almost like hoodie mellow. But yeah, James had his hoodie on. He was riding the bike. Then he did some shooting after it. James was not required to talk to us today, so I'm not sure if there's any sort of nagging injury or if it's just a maintenance thing. But either way, it did not seem serious at all. And even if there are no injuries, I think with James Harden, Chris Paul, the mainstays, both of those are going to have maintenance from time to time, and it's very possible that James participated in 90% of practice and they were just giving him some maintenance at the end, or it could have been some sort of minor tweak. But he's out there, he's on the side, he's shooting, he just was not participating in the actual scrimmage, at least the end portion that we got to see as media. So you basically had, again, your starters, if James isn't out there, which was Chris, Eric, Trevor, Ryan, and Clint. You did have some subs, guys that are in the rotation and close to that veteran presence, I would say the likes of Luke Bamute, who did sub in from time to time, but it's pretty easy to tell who the starters were. And then that bench unit, the starters were in white, the bench units in black, and that seemed to have a little more variability. You had, I guess, Tarek Black and Joe Chi seemed to play the most, but in addition to those, you had uh, Demetrius Jackson, Troy Williams, you had a number, uh, Bobby Brown, a number of guys that were taking turns on that second unit. And what was interesting to me, the second unit actually led for most of the scrimmage. Now, there's so much pride, that first unit kept playing. Uh, you're, you're led by Chris Paul. There's a lot of pride on that unit. They kept playing, and eventually they quote-unquote won. There were officials out there. They didn't have free throws in the typical sense. They would call fouls. They usually wouldn't send you to the line. But towards the end, Clint Capella drew a foul, and they essentially declared that if Clint made a free throw, that it would end the scrimmage. And Clint went to the line. And he switched it, and that was the end of the scrimmage. And that's always a nice way to end it if you're the Rockets, because one of those X factors for the Rockets, as far as going from very good to great, is the free throw shooting of Clint Capella. If he can continue to improve, he 
I know it's baby steps, but got it from upper 30s to low 50s at at times last year. And so if he can get that close to 60 or even a little above, which is what they think he can based on what you've seen at the D-League when he was down there as a rookie and also what he shoots in practice, then that's one of those variables that can push the Rockets from being a really good team to a great team. So yeah, it's day one and it's a scrimmage, not a game, but he made the free throw of the scrimmage. Then I watched him go out and shoot nothing but free throws for the next 10 to 15 minutes and his form looked good. It looked, I was not keeping formal track. I didn't have a pen and paper, but it looked to me like he was making at least 70% out on that practice court. So as far as what you can tell from that, largely encouraged. Now, as far as the play on the court, like I said, the, the offense was a little behind the defense. I think that's to be expected the defense you know it's one of those things especially the first day of school everybody's got energy everyone wants to play hard the execution offensively may not be all the way there yet some of the shooting which I think you would expect to ultimately come around was not always there on day one but I thought the ball movement was very good what stood out more than anything else I'm going to focus on the starters more because of course those are the guys we know they're going to be in the rotation Clint Clint Capella and Chris Paul were very close I'll say Chris Paul in general he is incredibly vocal. And I know I know that comes with the territory. I know that's been well reported in the past, but it's one thing to hear about it and it's another to see it. He is constantly barking out signals, literally every possession on offense, on defense. He's telling those guys exactly where to be. If Clint didn't set the screen at exactly the point that Chris wanted, or if he left maybe a hair early, then he's going to let them know that. Now, he's not being nasty about it. He's not being mean. He's just being communicative. He's putting it out there. And it, make no mistake about it, you know that it's Clint's team. and it's a, Or Chris's team, excuse me. And it's a different style for the Rockets, certainly, because, as I've said in the past, the Stars, James Harden, Dwight Howard, I don't want to say they're not vocal, but it doesn't necessarily come natural to them. Sure, they'll bark out words of encouragement, but they're, but they're not the types to be that hands-on every possession to discuss the X's and O's as it goes. Chris Paul is that type of guy. So that's a big change, but I thought the Rockets responded very well to it. There was certainly no talking back. Um, everyone seemed, the spacing was on point, and if it was even off by a fraction where they need to be, then trust me, Chris Paul was letting them know where they should be in terms of the spacing of that offense, and it really is like having a coach on the floor. I think one of the things that stood out to me more than anything else, after the scrimmage ended and before we got to talk to everyone in the media, uh, Chris Paul went over there and talked to Mike D'Antoni to the side. Just the two of them, no other players, no other coaches, just Chris Paul and Mike D'Antoni having a friendly chat. They're both smiling a lot, and of course they're being demonstrative with their hands, talking about things, but it just looked like two coaches, and that's the way it feels. It's that essentially the Rockets have co-coaches between Mike D'Antoni, who of course is calling plays and such, but uh, Chris Paul, who is the leader on the floor. And that's different. They don't call him the point god for nothing. And I think we saw that the the first day. And I posted some of the videos on my timeline, but the ball movement was tremendous. The shots were not always there, but generally he he made some passes. And with Chris, it's not always that he gets the assist himself. Sometimes it's putting a guy in position who's then going to find someone else. There was one in which he found Bamute in the corner for a three. That was a cross-court pass. That was a good one. There's another in which um, he essentially told Clint Capella to take it off the dribble, and Clint Capella initiated the offense from the top. And that that was after uh, Chris had gotten him the ball at the top of the key, and essentially Clint was facing up. So all of that, I mean, Chris Paul's fingerprints are all over this offense, and it's going to take some getting used to. It's very hands-on for a team that this past year, I would say, was largely free flow and hands-off. But 
as I said, I think that can be the perfect balance between the strengths of James Harden and the strengths of Chris Paul. And hopefully, if it goes as we expect it to, then you get the best of both worlds. So I thought uh, Chris was not particularly assertive offensively. Now, he was assertive once, and he got rejected by Joe Chi, which is actually a good sign. Uh, Joe Chi, very athletic. A lot of people were talking about him, seven foot two, And, you know, he's he needs to bulk up. He's raw. Year one is not the likely time that he makes an impact. And Mike D'Antoni said that in the uh, post-practice uh, post comments to us. But you could certainly see the potential. And the thing about Joe Chi, yes, he's got all these gifts, but he's very aware. He's very cerebral. So to have a guy that has the physical gifts, the athleticism, and also a high court IQ, if you look on my Twitter timeline, the video of Joe getting the rejection on Chris Paul, Chris Paul thought he had an easy shot. It wasn't like Joe Chi just happened to be there. No, he just had the instinct of when to leave, when to help, and why it looked like that Chris Paul was committing to take the shot as opposed to dumping it off to whoever uh, was closest on the interior. So that, that's a nice sign. But in general, Chris wasn't that aggressive offensively, and I don't think he needs to be. At 32 years old, Chris knows that when he wants to be aggressive offensively, when he wants to score, he knows how he can do that. At this point, he's trying to get his teammates involved. And by and large, it was successful uh, first day, I would say. The ball movement was pretty good. The shooting was not but a lot of that's to be expected on day one, September 26th, of practice. Now, the most frequent play amongst those starters was certainly uh, some variation of the uh, Chris Paul-Clint Capella pick-and-roll, but it wasn't always traditional, and if you notice, there's a reason why I didn't have any uh, Paul to Capella lobs, and that's because when I was watching, there weren't really any. There was one that was a pseudo-lob in which... Clint basically got it on the move and gathered himself and went up and, quote, got fouled while uh, putting the ball up and in, which was a nice play. But you didn't have the outright lobs. Now, Clint did come out all the time and set the screens. That's why I say that Chris Paul pick and roll was a very important part. Um, Chris Paul, Clint Paul pick and roll of what they were doing. It seemed to initiate the action on at least half of the sets. And... You know, it looked largely good, but I think the reason why they did not get the lobs, I was very pleased with the defense of that second unit. Particularly, I mentioned Joe Chi earlier, but I'm also going to single out Tarek Black. Tarek Black, and he owned this in his comments after we get to talk to Tarek after the uh, press conference, and or not the press conference, after the, I'm so used to saying press conference, after practice, we got to talk to Tarek Black, and it's Black, and it's the first time we got to talk to Tarek since he signed in Houston in July, because he's not big enough to have a press conference, but there have been no true media events since then. He didn't speak yesterday at media day, so today was actually the first day that we got to speak, to, uh, speak with him for a while, and he's a very well-spoken guy, but the biggest difference, we asked him, how does it feel now versus three years ago when he was on that 2014-2015 team? And he said it's night and day different because now he knows he's an NBA player. There's no different. There's no question about it. He is confident. And that confidence, you could see it on the floor. And when he talked to us, he didn't just say he was confident. He said one specific area that he was confident, which is his defense and how intelligent he is on that side of the floor, that he's a plus defensive player, not just in terms of, of course, having the athleticism to make an impact, 
but that he's actually, at this point, comfortable in calling out signals. And that's what I saw on those Chris Paul, Clint Capella pick and rolls. It wasn't just that Tarek Black was able to guard Clint Capella one-on-one, it's that he was secure enough, he was actually pointing out where other guys should go. So you combine that with the natural bulk that you have with Tarek Black and his defensive ability, and then he's calling out and telling where these younger players should go, and he's also got a lot of the time Joe Chi and that length on the backside. And yeah, it was not as easy as you might think for the Rockets, with, even with uh, Chris Paul and Clint Capella leading the way, to get those easy buckets at the rim. Because yeah, the, the second team played good defense, and on the other end, Tarek was finishing well in traffic if, as well. If anybody other than the star flashed to me, and in case you can't tell by now, it's probably Tarek Black, both ends of the court. I thought he looked very confident, very good, finishing on one end, playing good, solid defense on the other, never seemed to have any mental error. And it could be a big year for him because people forget, going back to November and December, just how crucial Montrezl Harrell was to that team last year. And to me, Tarek Black gives you a lot of the same dynamics as Montrezl Harrell. He's very athletic, great on the pick and roll, tremendous chemistry with James Harden, although we didn't see it today, at least those was in the media, because James wasn't in the scrimmage from what we got to see. But um, we know the Harden-Black chemistry going back to uh, the 2014-2015 season. But... Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Montrezl Hill, and he's, he's very athletic. He is great on the pick and roll. He's a little quicker than, I don't want to say Clint Capella is not quick, but there's a little more burst to Tarek Black that you can see, and certainly more burst relative to Nene. But to go back to the Montrezl Hill analogy, people fixate on how he didn't play during the playoffs, and it's partly based on the, the fact that, yes, Mike D'Antoni, down the stretch of seasons, he does like to shrink his rotation to probably eight or so. That's been a tendency of his career. But beyond that, it's the fact that Montrezl Harrell, yes, he had the quickness, he had the pick-and-roll advantages, and he could play defensively in space, but the lack of rebounding and the lack of bulk, especially against bigger, tougher, physical teams, that got exposed. Tarek Black gives you a lot of Montrezl Harrell's strengths, maybe not all the way. I'm not going to say he has quite the quick-twitch uh, muscle fiber that Montrezl Harrell has, but he has a lot of it. He has a lot of Montrezl Harrell's strengths, but the weaknesses are nowhere near as weak. So that's a really interesting combination. And as I said, you go back to November and December, Montrose Harrell was playing key roles for this team. He was closing out the uh, the win in Golden State among several others in December and played a big role. Another was the game in um, or the game at home against Boston that the Rockets held on in the closing seconds. And Montrose Harrell was out there in large part because of his athleticism and also the Rockets' ability defensively to switch on almost everything with him in the game. So yeah, we saw that at practice today. Tarek Black was calling the switches. He had people knowledgeable about where to go, and also he was able to switch when needed onto the perimeter. So I'm high on Tarek Black, and there is a role for three centers, even though they didn't play down the stretch. They, the, Mike D'Antoni did show at points last year that he could play three centers, 82 games. It's a, it's a marathon. It's a grind. So there's going to be opportunities to play guys, even if they're not necessarily in your playoff rotation. And the other side is that we saw last year, there are some matchups, besides just maintenance games, there are some matchups where the name may not be most favorable. We know Nene is great in these matchups, especially like Oklahoma City, these grinded out, these slow styles in which you could put him in against the likes of Steven Adams. And yeah, he can still be great in a pinch like that this year, but there are other matchups where you might need more athleticism, more ability to make plays in space, and that's where I think uh, Tarek Black could potentially have a role. So first practice, I was very pleased by what I saw with him. That's why the starters ultimately, it took them a while to put away the, uh, I don't want to call them a ragtag group, but certainly a less heralded group of backups in those black jerseys, because up front, there were no easy buckets. Uh, Tarek Black, Joe Chi, they were doing a good job. And above all else, 
and this observation goes for both teams, what really jumps out, the Rockets are a long team. Now, we didn't see P.J. Tucker. That also led a few of these guys to get more of a look. Maybe that's why Joe Chi played a little more than you would have otherwise expected because we mentioned in yesterday's show, P.J.'s dealing with a strained hamstring. And P.J., of course, even though he, does, he is versatile, he's a little shorter. You're looking at the guy who's 6'5", six 6'6". Foot five, six foot six. He does have long arms, and he's very, very strong. But he's not necessarily the longest guy, especially for a forward. But looking at them today... Boy, you look at the likes of Joe Chi, who's 7'2". You look at Luke Bamute, who legitimately can play the, the three and was hitting from outside, which is a great shot. Um, and it's a great sign if he can hit that with any sort of consistency. Um, the front line last year was big enough. Trevor Ariza, Ryan Anderson, Clint Capella, those are big guys. The question, of course, is when you get off the bench, and especially in the playoffs, the Rockets were such a small team because... The rotation was so small, and especially after losing Nene, you essentially bring in Eric Gordon, then Lou Williams, and that was it. And you just had this constant small ball. And yes, Mike D'Antoni's done it at times, but I don't think that that's the only way that he can play. It just so happens that those were the guys available. Sam Decker wasn't really available because, of course, he uh, he had the injury with just about five games left in the regular season. He was not all the way back even by the end of the Spurs series. And even with Decker not all the way back, he still got in the rotation because that length, that energy was a factor for them. But you look up and down that roster, there is a lot of length. There's a lot of versatility at those forward spots. So every interview, kind of the buzzword from Gerald Morey, Mike D'Antoni, as camp starts is the Rockets want to be a top 10, even a top 5 defense. And yeah, part of it's commitment and their personnel. They should be better with Chris Paul defensively over Pat Beverly. All of that's true. But more than just commitment, more than just Clint, uh, I don't know why I keep wanting to say Clint Paul. I keep trying to mesh Chris Paul and Clint Capella's names together because they're together so much on the floor. But besides the commitment, besides the upgrade of having Chris Paul, a perennial uh, first-team all-defense selection, you also just have a much deeper and longer team. And you can just see it when you watch these guys in person. There are a lot of guys with a lot of length in the Rockets Last year, you thought of them as this run-and-gun, this small-ball-type team that could beat you with offense. Well, now they have a lot of options, and there's a lot of height and a lot of length on that basketball court. And so that gives you uh, a lot of flexibility. Now, of course, you have to hope that with these guys that you can still you can add defense while maintaining the level of offense you had last year, which was either first or second in the NBA for the most part. But uh, with Chris Paul and James Harden leading the way, you have to hope that offense is going to come around. As far as other players, I haven't really talked that much about the other starters, but Eric Gordon, Trevor Reza, Ryan Anderson, about what you would expect. I think those are traditional um, veterans. You know what you're getting from from those guys. Ryan didn't get that many open looks, but it's only because the defense, a lot of the, the length actually allowed them to defend Ryan all the way out to 27, 28 feet. I thought that was pretty telling. You could tell they had a lot of respect for Ryan, and I guess the upside of it, it did open up some driving lanes, some penetration for the likes of Chris Paul and Eric Gordon. But, um, yeah, the, the length of the Rockets, especially when uh, Joe Chi was out there, it was tough for Ryan to get off shots, even out 27, 28 feet, because, A, they respect him, and you should. Ryan can make that kind of that sh- type of shot. But then also, you have a guy guarding you that's a seven foot, that he's 7'2 with a ridiculous wingspan, then, yeah, you can cover ground in a hurry. So, Ryan, he, he looked fine. He looked comfortable. He's out there playing with the ones. And if he didn't know any better, you wouldn't think that anything had happened over the summer in terms of trade rumors or anything going on with Ryan Anderson. But I thought he looked comfortable. He just didn't get many shots, period. I'm not going to say he didn't make them. He just didn't get many shots, period. It felt like that he was almost the, um, the decoy just to let the action start up top 
with Chris Paul and Clint Capella on that pick and roll. And then, of course, you had Ryan, Trevor, and uh, Eric Gordon camped around the perimeter at various spots, either looking for a three or looking for a driving lane to the bucket. So I think that's about all of my uh, quick reactions from day one. Tomorrow, the Rockets go to two-a-days, get two practices tomorrow. Then um, Thursday, it's... Uh, Thursday goes back to one, but going forward, we're generally going to get to talk to the team before practice. Today, we talked after because it was the first practice. wouldn't really make sense to talk before since you just did media day. So we, I don't know how many scrimmages we'll get to see going forward, but we did get to see some today. It was fun. Again, the videos are up on my Twitter page if you haven't seen already. And the good news, even if we don't get to see that many more true scrimmages, those of us in the media, well, preseason starts next week against Oklahoma City of all teams. So... Uh, we're not very far at all from seeing the, the Rockets on the basketball floor. Um, but yeah, I think those are all my observations. Uh, James Harden was not in the scrimmages that I saw. Uh, neither was P.J. Tucker, which was expected because of the hamstring, and neither was Nene. But that's, uh, I would not expect to see too much Nene in the preseason or in the uh, training camp. He's like a sit-out altogether, but I think they're very aware that Nene at 35, it's, it, it, it's a marathon for him. It's about building him up for the playoffs, so you're not going to see them do anything crazy. They're aware that Nene has a very special build-up program that may be different than any other player on that team, so I wouldn't necessarily expect that much of Nene. You'll probably have a couple of games in the preseason where they let him go just to let him get some reps, but by and large, I think they know what Nene needs to get ready. I think they kind of specialized at that last year, so I think I would be surprised if we see too, too much of him this early on in the season, because with Nene, it's just like riding a thoroughbred. You want him to be ready to go down the home stretch in uh, April and May, and you want to have full energy for him at that point. So those are the three that we didn't really see in the rotation regulars today too much, Harden, uh, P.J. Tucker, and Nene, but everyone else was out there. And yeah, I would just say the storyline, certainly uh, Chris Paul and Clint Capella running that pick and roll and the reviews afterward. Uh, Clint said he loved playing with him. Clint, by the way, oh, I should have mentioned Clint's post-practice uh, comments. Of course, he said that he loved being on the pick and roll with Chris. He's expected all the lobs, all the things you would expect. But we also got to ask him specifically about his conditioning as expected. Yep, you can tell the work that uh, Clint has put in over the offseason. He's chiseled, and he says that he wants to play at least 27, 28 minutes per game. He averaged 23.9 last year, but you can see it's not just the strength. It's the stamina, too. He's ready to take it close to 30 minutes per game. And I think, honestly, he would like to play more. But, of course, he knows it's not just about stamina. It's also about, he certainly could play even more than that. It's a matter of just what's the most effective for the Rockets. Because at some point, a completely fresh Nene or Tariq Black behind him can make a strong case for minutes. So I think 27-28, that's probably a fair expectation for Clint. But he thinks he's ready. And Clint's not a guy who speaks out of turn. In the past, he's been very open in discussing his weaknesses, his things of... Uh, his areas of growth, but uh, yeah, he looks ready to go. And by the end of practice, you know, they had run that pick and roll to death. He and Chris Paul and Clint did not look fatigued at all. He looks very strong. He looks ready to go. So I thought those two looked ready to go. Uh, Chris raved about it. I guess the last thing I should point out, I was saying earlier about Chris, his leadership, all the things he does both on and off the floor. And yes, he was active. He's incredibly vocal on the floor, and I think that that could help from a team organization perspective. But after it, I mentioned earlier how he was sitting down with Mike D'Antoni for just about 10 minutes talking um, ball. The second half of that, then when Chris came over and talked to us in the media, he raved about Mike D'Antoni when asked, the open lines of communication, 
no ego, the open door policy for him, James, whoever. And he didn't name names, but he didn't have to. When he was saying those comments, what was sticking out in my mind was, wow, that sounds like the complete 180 degree opposite of Doc Rivers, who is about as uh, hands-on as there is. And I think it was clear over the years that there was some disconnect between Chris and Doc. And you could see that, quite frankly, in some of the comments issued by both of them this summer. Whereas for Chris, a guy who wants that level of control on the on the court, and quite frankly, is probably that good because of how he's able to run the floor, then playing with a coach who also wants that level of control may not be ideal. But Mike D'Antoni, a guy who, you know, yes, Mike has a system, but when it comes to actually calling plays, it's not like Mike is reinventing the wheel. It's not like what Mike D'Antoni does is all that intricate from an X's and O's perspective. He gives his players freedom on the court, and so that's why it could be a perfect marriage, and that, yes, D'Antoni Ball, the pace they play with, it's great for point guards, but at the same time, it also allows a lot of flexibility. So when you look at someone like Chris Paul, who wants the freedom to be the coach on the floor, then Mike D'Antoni's scheme is the perfect place for him to get that. So you can see it on the floor, but you can also see it off in how he was interacting with D'Antoni, and of course, how he characterized those discussions to us and his relationship with D'Antoni, and that's a big part of why I keep telling you guys a lot of signals that Chris Paul picked the Rockets, not just for one year, because, well, let's see what happens with James Harden, maybe I'll win, and if not, then I want a banana boat somewhere else. No, he picked the Rockets because he likes the organization from top to bottom, and the, the overall power structure, the leadership, Chris is aligned with fully, and I know it's one day, one practice, but so far there's nothing to suggest that this is anything but exactly what Chris Paul signed up for and exactly what he was hoping for when he chose the Rockets in late June. So with that, I will finally wrap up this episode. Sorry for the tangents, but day one of practice, there's a lot going on trying to get through all my notes mentally as quickly as I can. But anyway, hope you guys appreciate that. And the rest of the week, well, we'll see what practice holds for us, and I'll keep you guys posted right here on Lockdown Rockets. As far as myself, I'm Ben Dubose, your host. If you're not already following me on Twitter, please do, at Ben Dubose, or the show on Twitter, at Lockdown Rockets. Also, email us, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. Questions, suggestions, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better program, just let us know. For now, uh, I'm going to go out and enjoy the rest of my Tuesday. Hope you guys will as well, and we'll be talking again very soon as the Rockets resume training camp tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday, at Toyota Center for Day 2.